Discover new technology and endless comfort with Victoria's Secret's number one collection, Body by Victoria. With over 3,500 five-star reviews, see what all the hype is about when it comes to their best-selling styles. Their latest innovation features lightweight construction that provides support where you need it without an ounce of padding. Experience unlined perfection with the nearly undetectable Invisible Lift Demi Bra, or comfortably reduce your bust line by up to one inch with the Invisible Lift Minimizer Bra. Available in cups A through G and bands 30 to 44, that's 43 sizes in 22 styles. Shop now at your nearest Victoria's Secret store and online at victoriasecret.com. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. A gambler is one who teaches and illustrates the folly of avarice. He is a non-ordained preacher on the vagaries of fortune and how to make doubt a certainty. He is one who, in his amusements, eliminates the element of chance. Chance is merely the minister in his workshop of luck. Money has no value except to back a good hand. Jefferson Smith said that, and as a confidence man, he's famous for his abilities to make doubt a certainty. Welcome to Criminalia. I'm Maria Tremarchi. And I'm Holly Fry. Jefferson Randolph Smith was born on November 2, 1860, in Coweta County, Georgia to Jefferson Randolph Smith Sr., a lawyer, and Emily Dawson Edmondson. The family was wealthy and influential in Georgia politics. Jeff's grandfather, a state legislator, owned a large plantation in Coweta County. It's not far from Atlanta, in case you didn't know. Like many Southerners, though, Jeff's family was financially ruined following the American Civil War. And like most Americans, Jeff Sr., seeking new opportunities, went west. The Smiths moved to Round Rock, Texas in 1876, where Jeff's father established a law firm. Jeff had several siblings. It's reported two of his brothers practiced law, three others were doctors, another was a minister, and one was a farmer. Jeff had a different sort of destiny, a dishonest one that included bribery and graft, fraud, theft, and extortion. In Round Rock, Jeff took his first job, and this seems to be his first 
and as far as we can tell, only honest work as a salesman. Not long after their move, though, and for reasons that are not clear, his mother Emily died. We know very little else about Jeff until he leaves home as a young man. Starting out as a cowboy in Texas, Jeff eventually grew tired of the hard work and poor wages that came with that lifestyle. And he discovered that he could make a lot more money with a lot less effort by being clever. And he changed his line of work to running confidence games on gullible Westerners. Fort Worth became Jeff's operational base. The con there, mainly, was running rigged bunko games, but it's also where he honed his skills with card games, including stacking a deck, marking cards, and manipulating cards in three-card Monty. Rigged poker games were known as Big Mitt. It's in Fort Worth where he assembled his first gang of skilled criminals, where they pooled their money, and where they bribed local police and politicians to overlook their criminal activities. Jeff also always urged his associates to go easy on the violence and to try to avoid any killing. He didn't want their gang to stir up any public resentment. When he was 18 years old, he'd witnessed the killing of Texas outlaw Sam Bass and decided then it was better to steal with wits than with guns. Jeff Smith V, who is Jeff's great-grandson and his biographer, wrote that this con man's gift was organization. When it came to his associates, quote, alone, these men were forced to be drifters, moving from one town to the next, as Jefferson had done. Jefferson united the men, and together as an organization, they were almost unstoppable. In the late 1870s, Jeff became so powerful and known for his crimes that laws were enacted in Fort Worth especially due to him. It was time for Jeff to move on. Sometime around 1879, give or take, Jeff turned up in Denver, Colorado. There, he married a woman named Mary Eva Noonan, and the couple had three children, Jefferson Randolph Smith III, Mary Eva Smith, and James Luther Smith. He kept his family, outside of all of his dealings, very far away, and Mary raised their children in a completely respectable neighborhood where Jeff did not work confidence games. After the Rocky Mountain News ran an article about him and his criminal enterprise, and in that article mentioned his wife and family, Mary suddenly found herself shunned by formerly friendly neighbors. Jeff moved his family to St. Louis, and once they were settled, he returned to Denver for work. With his family far away in a new city, Jeff, it is reported, armed himself with a walking stick and paid a visit to the paper's managing editor, John Atkins. The violence that he delivered on that visit fractured Atkins's skull. Jeff was arrested and charged with attempted murder. And at his trial, he defended himself and stated that if he had meant to kill Atkins, he would have armed himself with something more formidable than a walking stick. He was found not guilty. And the Rocky Mountain News only increased its efforts to expose Jeff's criminal empire in the city. Jeff was known by this time to excel in card games and something called the thimble rig, which was just another term for a shell game. And he told a local reporter, quote, I consider bunko steering more honorable than the life led by the average politician. Based in Denver, Jeff traveled around the American West, and in the towns he visited, he would set up shop with this new idea he had. He placed a tripe and keister, which is what con artists call a display case on a tripod, on a street corner to run this slippery scam, he hawked bars of soap, 
wrapped in blue tissue paper, and his con became known as the prize package soap cell. He promised his crowds that $100 bills were wrapped inside a few of the bars of soap for a lucky few buyers to find. Inevitably, one of the first to buy a bar would shout out and happily display a genuine $100 bill. And really, that was all it took for soap sales to skyrocket. Though accounts vary, it's suggested he sold his soap for anywhere between 50 cents to $5 per bar, and that is not adjusted for today's money. So that lucky buyer, of course, was a plant, paid off by Jeff. Jane Haig, Kenai Peninsula College history professor and author of the book King Khan, has said of Jeff, quote, There actually are first-hand accounts of guys who saw him on the street corner, and he would do this for three or four hours at a time and get a big crowd, not so much because everyone thought they were going to win soap, but because it was a great performance. Eventually, Jeff was arrested for running this con and, as the story goes, got his nickname at the same time. The officer, a John Holland, allegedly forgot Jeff's name while filling out his report and wrote Soapy instead. The nickname stuck, and even his group of associates became known as the Soap Gang. And he ran this con for decades, and historians believe it was probably the most successful con he ever ran. It's a con, but everybody gets clean. Everybody smells good. (laughs) In the early 1880s, with the money from this soap racket, and probably other cons as well, who are we kidding? Jeff ran a saloon and gambling house in Denver called the Tivoli Club. It was on the southeast corner of Market and 17th Streets. He hung a sign over the door that read Caveat Emptor. That translates from Latin as let the buyer beware. So truth in advertising, maybe? It was the headquarters for his associates, and it was a place to swindle customers. He ran rigged bunko games and he sold fake lottery tickets, fake stocks in non-existent companies, fake watches, fake diamonds, and fake gold. He didn't stop that soap scam when he opened his saloon, and by 1883, he was making a tidy profit from selling soap to miners all over Colorado. And he was also investing those profits in the Tivoli Club. After once swindling $1,500 from two guests at the club, he was arrested and taken to court. Jeff spoke in his own defense, and he claimed that his gambling hall was, we're going to paraphrase him here a little bit, an institution of public education. Yes, you heard that right. He said it was designed to cure the compulsive gambler and his urge, just as at the time the Keeley Institute was treating alcoholics. He concluded by pointing out to the court that the two victims had sworn to never gamble again. And we quote him, I should be recognized as a public benefactor. Praise instead of censure should be our portion. He was acquitted, and he moved on. After some brief stops in Cheyenne, Wyoming, Salt Lake City, and Ogden, Utah, and Pocatello, Idaho, in 1892, Jeff settled into the southwestern Colorado mining town of Creed, which is about 250 miles south of Denver. In Creed, Jeff again ran a saloon, which he called the Orleans Club. The rival saloon and brothel in town, called Ford's Exchange, was run by none other than American outlaw Robert Ford, infamous for killing outlaw Jesse James about a decade earlier. There are conflicting stories on this next scam, but some say Jeff began what's known as his prehistoric man con while living in Creed. And if it's true, which it It probably is, right? It worked like this. 
In an effort to get miners and locals to patronize his business, he advertised he had a petrified man whom he'd discovered buried just outside of town and whom he'd nicknamed McGinry. You could view him for just 10 cents. Once inside to see this prehistoric man, Jeff's cronies immediately steered customers into rigged bunko games and other crooked games of chance. As with most of Jeff's activities, the petrified man, of course, was a fraud. Historians speculate the mummified remains might have been those of someone indigenous to the area, or maybe a human skeleton that had been covered in cement. Jeff left town at the peak of this con, and before the curious, got suspicious. A fire swept through Creed's largely wooden downtown that same year and destroyed much of the town, including the building where the Orleans Club was located. We're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor, and when we're back, we'll talk about Jeff's return to the Tivoli Club and his criminal enterprise in Denver. When it comes to makeup looks, I really like full glam, but I also often just need an easy day look, and Thrive Cosmetics has been my go-to. I also travel a lot. I'm really guilty of lugging around way too much makeup in my suitcase, and I'm trying to curb that habit. And Thrive's brilliant eye brightener is the key to the whole thing. So instead of packing a bunch of palettes that I may or may not use, I can just throw a few of these slim sticks in my bag and I get all the shimmer and shadow I'm looking for. I streamline my packing. I can blend them together. They blend like butter. And you can layer different colors to get something truly unique. And then you just have your look all pulled together. Your eyes are brighter. You look well-rested. And you look really pretty glam for a very easy look. Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. It's easy to see why they get so many five-star reviews. And even better, they give back to communities. For every product that you purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. So you look great and you can feel great about how you got there. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash criminalia for 20% off your first order. Discover new technology and endless comfort with Victoria's Secret's number one collection, Body by Victoria. With over 3,500 five-star reviews, see what all the hype is about when it comes to their best-selling styles. Their latest innovation provides support where you need it without an ounce of padding. It's all you. With lightweight construction and technology that smooths, shapes, and supports, these silhouettes are designed to conform to your curves for a natural-looking fit. Experience unlined perfection with the Invisible Lift Demi Bra, a style that moves with you and is nearly undetectable under clothes. Or comfortably reduce your bust line by up to one inch with the Invisible Lift Minimizer Bra. Unbelievable and unforgettable, there's more to explore when it comes to Body by Victoria. Available in cups A through G and bands 30 to 44. That's 43 sizes in 22 styles. Shop now at your nearest Victoria's Secret store and online at victoriasecret.com. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. 
And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. You need a vehicle that can meet your family's needs, and Toyota has you covered. Introducing the first-ever Grand Highlander, a midsize SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander never makes you choose between passengers and cargo. You can fit both with ease. With three spacious rows and available seating for up to eight, and legroom that makes even long trips comfortable. With Grand Highlander's available 362-horsepower hybrid max powertrain on limited and platinum trims, you can be confident that you have the power, acceleration, and efficiency needed for almost any adventure your family can cook up. And you'll get where you're going in style with a modern, spacious cabin that's perfect for both playdates and date nights. Impressive tech upgrades take the new Grand Highlander to the next level, including a standard digital key, an available panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen. Don't just live life. Live life grander in the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Welcome back to Criminalia. We're going to kick things off now with Jeff's return to Denver, but let's also talk about how and when he decided to follow gold to Alaska. So Jeff returned to Denver and returned to operating the Tivoli Club. And as before, he started opening other businesses designed to dishonestly make him money. Here he added another swindle to his growing repertoire. This is sometimes credited to another member of his soap gang, but it was most likely Jeff's idea. Jeff opened an office near the railroad station on the corner of Larimer and 17th Street, where he and his associates sold rail tickets at steep discounts. The catch? When a mark entered the office to purchase those cheap tickets, they were told that the agent was absent or unavailable, but would that person like to join a game of chance while waiting for them to return? Several different games were offered, all of them were rigged, few marks could resist, and Jeff lined his pockets with more cash. Jeff's success came in part, too, because of the kickbacks he provided to saloon and other business owners in town. He had city officials on his payroll, and Jeff usually did not target locals in his schemes, focusing instead on anyone just passing through town. He wanted locals to be comfortable approaching the soap gang members for help in the form of money, work, or whatever the problem may be. He also fostered loyalty among his gang members by taking care of them, not just with their share of cash, but he was also quick to lend a hand to an associate in need, such as quick release from jail. He made charitable contributions to churches in the city, including donations to have them constructed, and made his saloons available to ministers for Sunday services as those churches were being built. But rival gangs started establishing themselves in other areas of the city, specifically the Blogger brothers, Lou and Sam, whose criminal activities eventually grew larger than Jeff's. 
And that meant they were beginning to hurt Jeff's business. And so was a new Colorado governor, vowing to clean up corruption in Denver. Davis Hanson Waite, who ran on the Populist Party platform, planned to start his term by removing corrupt city officials from their positions. Because of him, it was becoming difficult for politicians in Jeff's pocket to continue to turn a blind eye to his deeds, and a lot of city workers feared that they were going to lose their jobs or go to jail. At the very least, their political reputations were at stake. Waite had fired three Denver officials that he felt were not abiding by his new directions. And because of all of these looming constraints, Jeff moved on from Denver. But before he left, he took part as a member of the Denver mayor's special police force, who defended City Hall and the removal of any of its officials against any militia that this new governor might send in. And Waite did call up state forces, which brought with them two cannons and two Gatling guns. Yes, to City Hall. The mayor's special police force was backed by money and support from Jeff, as well as other criminal groups in the city. It did not take long for the mayor's force to be outfitted with about 200 unlawful deputies, and as its leader, Jeff called himself Colonel Smith. Not expecting such force in response, the governor agreed to withdraw the militia and instead allowed the Colorado Supreme Court to decide the matter. And that court ruled that the governor did have the authority to replace the city commissioners, but they also reprimanded him for sending in the militia. It was a tense and probably a bit confusing scene, but ultimately, corruption at City Hall was settled in court and not on the streets. Jeff became an important witness in court. The whole event became known as Denver City Hall War. When the governor ordered the closure of all Denver's gambling dens and saloons, that was pretty much it, and Jeff did indeed move on. For the next few years, Jeff drifted around the West, looking for a new location to establish his next criminal empire. We kind of put together our own map of where we know he passed through, and that included Texas, California, Montana, and back to California, and then to the Pacific Northwest. At one time in 1895, kind of curiously, Jeff wrote to the Mexican president, Porfiero Diaz, proposing the formation of an American foreign legion, and he offered Diaz its services for quelling various rebellions south of the United States border. In his correspondence, he styled himself as Colonel Jefferson Smith, though Jeff had no real military experience. He also informed Diaz that a legion of, quote, tough American Westerners would be of infinite value. He claimed he'd established a recruiting post in Denver and that the men were loyal to their colonel. Whether Diaz ever replied to Jeff is disputed by historians, but regardless, nothing came of this proposal. Jeff began to find that his reputation preceded him almost everywhere he went. But when he arrived in Seattle in the summer of 1897, he knew where he'd go next, to the gold fields of Alaska and the Yukon. On July 17, 1897, the SS Portland arrived in Seattle from Alaskan territory, carrying 68 miners and a cargo of, to quote many papers of the day, more than a ton of solid gold from the banks of the Klondike River in Canada's Yukon Territory. The Klondike gold rush began in 1896-ish when gold was discovered in the Klondike region in Canada's Yukon Territory, and this was the moment that really sparked a rush of hopeful Americans looking to make it big in Alaska, a period that lasted for more than a decade. 
It's estimated that 100,000 prospectors traveled to the Klondike region of the Yukon between 1896 and 1899. And this whole thing sparked Jeff's imagination, too. Says historian Haig, quote, he knew that there was a gold rush about to happen there. She continues, quote, he first tried to practice his soap game in Juneau and was arrested. It was under a fake name, but you could tell it was him. In October of 1897, Jeff narrowed things down to two towns, Wrangell and Skagway, and by early 1898, he'd staked claim in the rough frontier town of Skagway, which is about 800 miles east-southeast of Anchorage. Skagway, it said, was short on law and long on gold dust. As far as Jeff and his gang could tell, aside from Skagway's one local marshal who could be, and would be, bought, there were only two other men who patrolled the entire Alaskan-Yukon River district. Skagway, for the soap gang, looked like a criminal's paradise. The village had fewer than 200 residents, primarily made up of hunters, trappers, and now prospectors. Jeff seemed to instinctively know that Skagway was on the cusp of a boom. Says Haig, quote, he gets to Skagway and builds a saloon. He was there right from the get-go. I don't think Soapy had any intention of going to the Klondike itself. I don't know how he figured out Skagway was the place to go, but it was an obvious location because it was a jumping-off point. Jeff's reputation grew thanks not only to his boldness as a con artist, but also of his ability to befriend and bribe local authorities and officials. Remember the example of the City Hall War of Denver. He grew a loyal group of followers in Skagway, some who were with him for years and some new, including gunman Texas Jack Vermillion, who once rode with Wyatt Earp on the legendary lawman's Vendetta Ride of 1882, and Big Ed Burns, a con man and crime boss in his own right. Violence-prone Yamo Hopkins, a veteran of San Francisco's Chinatown Tong Wars, was also part of the gang. And so was a name you may remember as a con man's crony from another episode this season, Van Buren Triplet, better known as Old Man Trip, and described as a, quote, lovable-looking patriarch with a white beard and a black heart. To the residents of Skagway, though, Jeff maintained a charming image of respectability. He was on their side, as it seemed, and wanted their community to succeed. The Skagway correspondent for the New York World newspaper called him, quote, the most gracious, kind-hearted man I've ever met. To know him is to like him. If he couldn't charm a reporter, he'd just bribe them. We're going to take a break for a word from our sponsors. And when we're back, we'll talk about how Jeff set up shop in Skagway as usual. But this time, it was his final game. Discover new technology and endless comfort with Victoria's Secret's number one collection, Body by Victoria. With over 3,500 five-star reviews, see what all the hype is about when it comes to their best-selling styles. Their latest innovation provides support where you need it without an ounce of padding. It's all you. With lightweight construction and technology that smooths, shapes, and supports, these silhouettes are designed to conform to your curves for a natural-looking fit. 
Experience unlined perfection with the Invisible Lift Demi Bra, a style that moves with you and is nearly undetectable under clothes. Or comfortably reduce your bust line by up to one inch with the Invisible Lift Minimizer Bra. Unbelievable and unforgettable, there's more to explore when it comes to Body by Victoria. Available in cups A through G and bands 30 to 44. That's 43 sizes in 22 styles. Shop now at your nearest Victoria's Secret store and online at victoriasecret.com. You need a vehicle that can meet your family's needs, and Toyota has you covered. Introducing the first-ever Grand Highlander, a midsize SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander never makes you choose between passengers and cargo. You can fit both with ease. With three spacious rows and available seating for up to eight, and leg room that makes even long trips comfortable. With Grand Highlander's available 362 horsepower hybrid max powertrain on limited and platinum trims, you can be confident that you have the power, acceleration, and efficiency needed for almost any adventure your family can cook up. And you'll get where you're going in style with a modern, spacious cabin that's perfect for both playdates and date nights. Impressive tech upgrades take the new Grand Highlander to the next level, including a standard digital key, an available panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen. Don't just live life. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about how Skagway first considered him the uncrowned king of Skagway and then tried to run Jeff out of town. Jeff was not interested in mining for gold. There are no reports that he ever did so. But he was interested in Skagway, and he set up his third criminal empire much the same way as he had done in Denver and Creed. You know the drill. In March of 1898, Jeff had a saloon in town, the aptly named Jeff Smith's Parlor, located at 317 Holly Street, and his soap gang made a living running crooked schemes, rigged card games, and clever cons all over the western frontier. He put the town's deputy U.S. marshal on his payroll. and Soon, he and his criminal partners fleeced thousands of miners. In a letter to a friend in Seattle, Jeff wrote, quote, 
We have got them licked, and we mean to rule absolutely. In one of his boldest scams, Jeff set up a fake telegraph office where he then charged customers to send messages to loved ones back home. How was this a scam? It would be several years before telegraph lines even reached Skagway, and Jeff hoped no one realized that omission. He did always provide a reply, albeit completely fabricated, to those who used his service, and it usually came with accepting real charges for the fake message. But people always paid. This may have been a rough frontier town, but there were some newspapers printing things in Skagway. After the arrival of the soap gang, Skagway was gaining a reputation as, quote, hell on earth, with many perils waiting for those unsuspecting. Mostly, those papers were read by people outside of town looking for information about the gold rush and feel-good stories about getting rich were what they wanted to read. Jeff bought one of the editors and essentially had his own press. Sometimes, though, stories of his scams did leak. The phony telegraph line, that was one of them. In response, says Haig, quote, Of course, there was no actual telegraph line to Skagway, and Soper's response to the criticism was that he was saving people. If you were so stupid as to be caught by these tricks, he was saving you from sure death in the Klondike. When news broke of the United States going to war with Spain in 1898, Jeff revived his military aspirations, once crushed by the president of Mexico, and he raised a militia. He installed himself as its leader, and he made it legit by obtaining recognition from President McKinley. The Skagway Militia Company of 1898 was sanctioned by the federal government, and then it was recognized by the United States military. As its commander, Jeff could declare martial law in Skagway, should it be deemed necessary, and he now had military control over the town. Ultimately, though, his contribution to the war effort consisted of leading his troops on horseback during Skagway's 4th of July parade and getting to sit at the dignitaries' table at the picnic that followed. He was called the uncrowned king of Skagway. Jeff's criminal underworld was bad for legitimate businesses in town, because after all, why would you visit a town full of criminals and grifters when there were other gold-booming towns to choose from? The rival port, for instance, of Dai was just six miles up the coast. Skagway had grown quickly, and the town included among its citizens assayers, mining engineers, city engineers, doctors, lawyers, and other professionals. Its economy, though, was linked to those gold fields. Similar to the vibe in Denver, many locals weren't pleased they had to live with Jeff and his cronies and wanted to bring law and order to their streets. That summer, citizens, mostly miners, formed a vigilante group they called the Committee of 101 in an attempt to take back their community. Unafraid, Jeff formed his own group and called it the Committee of 317, the street number of his saloon, as well as a subtle threat he had more than 300 men to oppose them. Historians suggest he probably knew by this point that his game in Skagway was over. But Jeff had failed to understand just how angry the people of the town were. On July 7, 1898, the soap gang swindled a bag of gold worth $2,600 from a Klondike miner named John Douglas Stewart over drinks and rigged card games at Jeff's saloon. He reported the theft to the town's deputy marshal. 
However, you'll recall that the town's deputy marshal was conveniently on Jeff's payroll, and so that complaint went just nowhere. But then Stewart took his complaint to, it seems, anybody who would listen, and finally went to the Committee of 101 for help and guidance. When the demand that the soap gang return the money to the fleeced miner grew more demanding, Jeff replied succinctly that the man had lost the money in, quote, sporting games that he had not been forced to play, but did so of his own free will. The very next evening, the Outraged Committee of 101 called a meeting with Jeff at the Juno Wharf. Jeff arrived with his Winchester rifle over his shoulder, but that wasn't really an odd sight in this place in this time in this gold rush, criminal or not. Earlier in the day, he'd spread word around town that he'd repay a portion of the gold to Stuart, and he told the four men on guard that he wanted to discuss that plan at the meeting. He announced he meant no harm. They refused to let him or any of his associates whom they called soap men pass. An account from an eyewitness and member of the Committee of 101 claimed that Jeff struck Reed once, maybe twice, with his rifle, wounding Reed's arm. Reed responded by drawing a pistol, upon which Jeff was said to have shouted, quote, My God, don't shoot. Reed shot Jeff at least four times. Reports state the gun misfired on the first shot. Jeff was shot in his left leg and severely wounded on his left arm and was killed instantly from a shot to the heart. It's reported someone shouted, Smith is killed. Committee member Frank Reed was wounded. He died 12 days later. As many as 26 of Jeff's soap gang were rounded up by authorities over the next few days. Although it's widely accepted that Reed fatally shot Jeff, a letter from Sam Steele, the head of the Canadian Mounties at the time, suggests that another guard that night, a man named Jesse Murphy, may have fired the fatal shot. Maybe he did, but if so, he's not credited with doing so. Reed was celebrated with a parade, and a large monument was erected at his gravesite, inscribed with the following quote, He gave his life for the honor of Skagway. A story published in the Skagway News on July 9, 1898, and republished in newspapers throughout the country, reported, and we're going to paraphrase this long piece, that one brave man named Frank Reed had sacrificed himself to slay a vicious con man, the con king of Skagway, so that Skagway could be freed of all crime. Jeff was buried at the Gold Rush Cemetery in Skagway, and his funeral services were held in the town church that he had once donated funds to help construct. His grave marker was made from rough board with the inscription, quote, Jefferson R. Smith, age 38, died July 8, 1898. The minister read in his sermon a line from Proverbs 13, quote, The way of transgressors is hard. By the 1950s, the legend of Jefferson Soapy Smith had turned him into a kind of Robin Hood figure. He had taken from the gold rush miners and given to the poor, the widows, the orphans, other criminals. He became the anti-hero, a loyal friend who stood by his men. And since the 1970s, Skagway and other cities and towns around the American West celebrate Jeff's life with what's known as the Soapy Smith Wake every year on July 8th. Holly, let's introduce some scam sauce to that. This was the easiest brainstorm of my life because... 
Okay, I'm gonna lose half the audience here. But you know how some people think cilantro tastes like soap? Yes. <laughs> you know how some people might be me? I do eat cilantro now, but I am one of those people who is really suspicious of it. This is an interesting situation for me for a few reasons, but I'll tell you. It also occurred to me that, like, the I thought of cilantro immediately because of that. But then it's also a good one for Jeff because people either loved or hated him and there wasn't a lot of in between. So <laughs> That's actually true on all counts. <laughs> it was like my brain went, ding, ding, ding. okay, that has to have cilantro in it. This is called the soapy sparkler, by the way. It's essentially a mojito, but made with cilantro instead of mint. Now, I will say before we start this, there's a moment of weird science for me personally, because my understanding is that most people either taste a very soapy taste with cilantro or like a sharper, almost citrusy green taste to it. And this is genetic, like how people taste it. I belong to some weird third option where I can't taste cilantro. <laughs> hey, you can put it on everything. <laughs> it tastes like nothing to me. Occasionally, if you get what someone else goes, oh, that's a really intense flavored cilantro. I understand why people would describe it as soapy and a slight sense of green. And the way I describe it is it's as though someone is mowing a lawn three blocks away is how it tastes to me. <laughs> I don't have a strong feeling about it. Put it on everything. I don't care. It was one of those things where I thought I had never had cilantro because I had no opinion. And I saw it on a menu for something. And I was like, I should try cilantro. And my husband looked at me and was like, I've seen you <laughs> eat so much cilantro in the last, at that point, I think like 20 years of our marriage. Over the last 20 years, you've eaten 20 pounds of this herb. <laughs> Here's what's going to happen. This is a really easy one to make. But something weird happens where when it is in this drink, I can taste it. Oh, <gasps> magic. I have a theory about why that I'll say at the end. Okay, well, wait. You're going to start with three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. Put that in the bottom of your shaking tin. Add in a handful of cilantro, and you're going to muddle all that together. It already sounds suspicious to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like making a mojito. It's the exact same approach. I just mean the amount of cilantro. I'm like, I'll do it. But Oh, it's not all going to stay in there. So right. you're going to muddle that. Then you'll add your ice, add an ounce and a half of white rum. Shake it, shake, 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 shake it up. Because you do want to break up the cilantro into small enough pieces with the muddling and the shaking that you get a few flecks in your mm -hmm. drink. You don't want big chunks. You're still going to strain it, but you want a couple flecks to come through. It's just very pretty. So you will then strain that over ice and top it with club soda. You can garnish with a piece of cilantro if you want. It is incredibly refreshing and delicious. It tastes like, I don't know, it's bright and magical. So here's what I think is happening. The acidity of the lemon juice is opening up the cilantro leaf in a way that the flavor gets magnified in a place that I can taste it. Does it taste citrusy to you in this drink? I get both of those, like a green and I still understand where there's a soapy thing, but it, oh, in this drink, hello, delicious. This drink sounds lovely. The, like I said, I eat cilantro, but I have a lifelong mm <laughs> with it. Um, I'm always looking for ways where I will like it. So to make the mocktail for this one, I've been thinking more and more about just ways we do substitutions for mocktails. We do a lot of teas. There will be some tea involved here, but 
I wanted to try something else for rum where you could make your own like batch of rum substitute. So this one, you're going to boil like a cup of water. This is a twoser. So this is how I would make it for this drink because you want it on the lighter side. But then I'll also tell you how you could switch it up if you want to make a darker rum fakey fake. Oh, good. And I got this because I started looking around at how other people have done it and I tweaked their stuff. And you've done a lot of trying yourself too. So all of it together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you boil about a cup of water and then you're actually going to add in like a quarter cup of white raisins. That might be where on that ingredient list. <laughs> I would put a little bit of just a, a fair amount of agave syrup in there. Two tablespoons, I think I did. I measured with my heart while I was making it, which uh. is why I'm guessing at the, the amounts. And then a chamomile tea bag. And you're going to let that all boil for just a little while, like five or ten minutes at the most. Turn it off. Let it cool. You can throw it in the refrigerator. I would keep everything together. Let it steep and then strain it all off. Double strain it. You don't want any of the stuff. You just want the liquid. And it makes a very interesting one. If you want to make like a darker rum, you'll sub out and do regular dark raisins. You'll use molasses instead of agave syrup. And you'll do, you'll use a black tea bag for that. You could also, I have not made the black version or the spice version yet. I would also throw like some ground clove in there and just... Make it delicious. Yeah. But that's a really easy way. And then you have it. You want to refrigerate that because of the sugars from the raisins. It might get moldy if you let it sit on the counter. But that's a great way to substitute in for any of these recipes. And I love it. That is clever. (laughs) (laughs) That is the soapy sparkler in honor of Jeff, who you love him or you hate him. He would have been like a great community leader if he weren't a criminal. He was but it's such a smooth talker. Like, talk yeah. about a born confidence artist or perhaps some, someone meet you, like, legit. Like, <laughs> I will raise a sparkler in his honor on July 8th and perhaps much more frequently than that. Perhaps. More. <laughs> I hope, if you hate cilantro, that you might at least consider trying this drink. I'm going to try um, it. Because it is interesting. Yeah. You don't have to love it, but I encourage everyone to try things. Maybe you, like me, will be like, now I can taste it. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a stake in making sure our listeners know how much we appreciate them. And thank you for listening this week and any time that you hang out with us. We'll be right back here again next week with more scam sauce and another tale of inappropriate confidence man behavior. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Discover new technology and endless comfort with Victoria's Secret's number one collection, Body by Victoria. With over 3,500 five-star reviews, see what all the hype is about when it comes to their best-selling styles. Their latest innovation features lightweight construction that provides support where you need it without an ounce of padding. Experience unlined perfection with the nearly undetectable Invisible Lift Demi Bra, or comfortably reduce your bust line by up to one inch with the Invisible Lift Minimizer Bra. Available in cups A through G and bands 30 to 44, that's 43 sizes in 22 styles. Shop now at your nearest Victoria's Victoria's Secret store and online at victoriasecret.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.